G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I purposely got all the gangs together. I said, we're going to meet the Prime Minister and Judges Minister, Police Minister, all of these people, and tell them what's happening with you. Uh, that was the first time in the history of Papua New Guinea. Gangs facing the Prime Minister and the Police Commissioners and all these big people. This is the purpose of reconciliation and also changing the heart and the mind and the soul and the spirit. And that's what happened. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guest today is once again Pastor Charles Lapa from Papua New Guinea, who's sharing his incredible life journey. As we heard last time, Charles Lapa was born as the son of a chief in the southern highlands of Papua New Guinea and has gone on to live a life filled with chiefs, gangs and prime ministers, along with a huge impact for the Lord. The book written about his life is called Searching for Paradise. Today we'll hear more of his story and more about the incredible impact his ministry has had on PNG. Once again, Charles Lapa is chatting with Eric Scadabo while he's visiting family in Brisbane. And we'll pick up the conversation as Eric has just realised that Charles knows a friend of his. I was wondering, do you know a good friend of mine, David Odd, that was a missionary in Papua New Guinea? Yeah, he was my missionary. He was our halfway house manager. I thought so. I thought the two of you might have met in Papua New Guinea. So you know David Odd. He's been a guest on the program in the past as well. I'm just putting yes. two and two together. Sorry, I'm a little slow. <laughs> uh, he's, he's like he's a father to us. Is that right? He's a father to the... Oh, he's I, I was just good. talking to him he the other speak, day. Oh, he speaks pigeon fluently. Uh-huh. And so he was a missionary, United Church missionary in Cavian. And then he really a special man. He's really father to many, many boys and girls in Papua New Guinea. Wow. Uh, David Odd was a missionary from Melbourne to Papua New Guinea and was at the school there as well, yes. if I remember. Yes. And, and he also helped out at the halfway house, if I remember right? Yeah, he worked at, he was a manager of the halfway house. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. He worked among the gangs. Yeah. Wow. So happy to hear that uh, he had a, an impact for the Lord in that area as yes. well. Yes. He's got a very good heart, him and his wife, Battle. Yes, yes. Well, oh, that's fantastic. So it's all kind of coming together in my mind here. So in addition to the halfway house, what were some of the other things you did for the Lord? Now, apart from halfway house, I have a churches in the country and also in overseas. Oh, okay. I'm a pastor of a church, uh, which is uh, we've, we, we've started. I'm, I'm a founder of a Life Outreach Ministries International. Okay. And we have churches in in Australia, Philippines, and India, and also in Papua New Guinea, every province, every state, we have a churches there. So that church was started because uh, nobody wanted to work among the gangs, work with them boys hmm. and girls because they got scared. And so we started the church for them to come to their churches, our churches, so that make it easier for them. 
Wow. So that's a wonderful impact that the work you're doing and have done in the past has had on Papua New Guinea. And I understand that there was a time where you brought leaders from all denominations together to form a group yeah. that regularly meets. It's known as the Body of Christ. Yes. With that, uh, so I first I met the, all these gangs and with the Prime Minister, and then Prime Minister gave us the time to recognize the halfway house. Mm -hmm. And then church unity must happen. For that reason, we've started uh, ministers to come together with the Methodist church minister and myself and a few pastors. We work together and ask the Catholics and Lutheran, Anglican, United Church, and a lot of Pentecostals and Evansville Church leaders to meet every, uh, every Thursday or Friday. We meet together and discuss what should we do and put aside all our differences and mm -hmm. work as a team and help the young men and young women. And that is what really a lot of gangs change and a lot of gangs now come through. They're going to other churches also, so the churches embrace them. Wow, so that's uh, another positive impact that you are part of. And also there was something yeah. called the Unity Poll. What was that all about? Yes. Unity Poll is uh, also... Uh, we have, uh, when churches are working together now, uh, we also want to, there must be a unity poll at parliament. A unity poll is also for uh, our Bible, that the Bible, the 200 years old Bible, uh, King James Version, will come and we'll put it in the parliament building, inside the, inside the chamber. And so now this special Bible was donated by an American, is that right? Yes, yes, American Church, yeah. And uh, that's what we did. And we put that uh, poll and also a uh, place for putting the Bible at the chamber. And so I had a privilege of a uh, uh, part of the team to take the Bible into the parliament chamber and leave it there. It become official. And so now, every time when the parliament sit in, they must recognize there's a Bible in parliament not just a one little Bible, it's a big, huge Bible. Yeah. And recognize that God and his word is sitting there and listen to you. That's yeah. what we want to remind the politicians, that the God is in parliament. Hmm. And they're accountable. Mm. They're accountable, exactly. So the Bible is the centerpiece. So that's quite an accomplishment. So you're part of making that happen? Yes, yes. The Bible is very important because Papua New Guinea is a Christian country. Mm -hmm. How do you know that this, this is a Christian country? The only one way to tell Papua New Guinea is a Christian country, we have to put the word of God, the 200 years old Bible must be sit in the parliament. Mm -hmm. Just to remind every member that goes to the parliament, uh, whoever, you know, change government or whatever, but as long as the Bible sits there and remind them that they must continue to pray, pray and also fear God mm -hmm. and love God, and love Jesus and the Holy Spirit must work also. And then it recognize the churches in the country, Christian churches. Okay, so I, I'm looking here at my notes that an, an American philanthropist heard about the unity poll and what was happening in Papua yeah. New Guinea, and he gifted a priceless 1611 King James Bible to the nation. So that's kind of what started yes. this all off. Yes, that's right. And then it's now day, sitting in Parliament. Yeah, it's sitting in Parliament. Okay, so that's a symbol of the values of Papua New Guinea. Yes, that's right. And then when it arrived, thousands lined the streets, apparently. Yeah, all the main pastors in the churches, they all line up at the front and we drive like an official. Uh, we're taking a Prime Minister Rano, King and Queen Rano, 
you know, like that. And so it's a big, big impact in the city. And mm-hmm. uh, all the cars have to stop and the police have to stand at the front and, and with a siren and then carry the Bible right around the city. And then we took it to the parliament house here. Oh, so very special occasion there. Any other stories of impact that you'd like to share with us today? Well, I I want to thank you. Thank you for, uh, you know, uh, yourself uh, to come and interview me, Eric. And uh, it's uh, wonderful uh, to have uh, Christians. We work together uh, regardless Amen. of where we come from. And mm-hmm. it has uh, one body, one Jesus, one God, one Holy Spirit. And doing ministry together like this is very important. It's a teamwork to let the world know that there is God who does the miracles and signs and wonders and he's not dead. He's still alive Amen. in the spirit. Yeah. So you teamed up with uh, my friend David Odd, who has been a guest on this program in the past. So you worked together, an Australian yeah. and a, a man from Papua New Guinea to have that halfway house for gang members there in the Port Moresby yes. area. And then also yeah. another person who uh, you and I both know together is Janet Dixon, who wrote the book about your life story. How did that come about? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Well, I was, uh, I was, uh, remember that uh, my dad had that uh, experience at Mount Yalibu mm-hmm. Mountain. And when he came back, and then he told me about it, and he said that his name, your name was called, and uh, there's something's going to happen. And then when I start the ministry and everything was happening in the country, I was more influenced with the prime minister, working with the prime ministers and gangs and, and the nation as a whole. But the main main thing that God called me was that God already called me while I was, you know, in a two, three years old or four mm. years old boy. Yeah. And somehow when I got saved and I, I preached around, and I felt that there's some kind of a whispering in my ear that uh, one day a lady will come and write the book about you. Oh, and which, which I know nothing about, and I, I said, well, I don't know who's the lady is going to come and write, but uh, it's a very clear that uh, this Australian lady, very interesting because, uh, yeah. interesting because my teachers always in the schools always uh, uh, Australian ladies who are teaching us, huh. yeah, and then now here's another Australian lady coming now. He wanted to write the book about me. It's CS CSL said. Oh, we've heard about you, and then, um, you know, we want to talk to you, and I talked with them, and they said, this is very interesting, and then I took them to my village and showed them and things that what we are doing, and and uh, she, was, she, she, she was very interested. So uh, I said, well, if you want, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you, and we write, you can write the book if you want. So, and then it's a very interesting because I've been, already God told me to write the book about it, yeah. So the two of you work together, yourself and Janet, yes. to write the book, which is called yeah. Searching for Paradise? Yes. Why that title? What does that represent? Okay. Searching for Paradise, it begins with my father, the mm-hmm. paramount chief of uh, Pangia, my area. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father, when the first Catholic missionary came, and then he gave them a little cross. When he saw this little man hanging on the cross, he said to him, my father said, who's this man? And I said, I don't know. We let us Catholic priest. And he said, no, this is the man who died for you guys here. He died for you. And then my father said, 
you better take it and go and look for him. Where did he die? Huh. And why did he die? So that's when I said, I want to become a priest so I can go and look for him where Jesus died on the cross. Mm-hmm. And I prayed that God would take me to go to Israel. And mm-hmm. I thought Israel is in the sky or somewhere, but, uh, you know, even like Mount Sinai and all that. Mm-hmm. But later I realized that there is a country. So I prayed and fasted for many times. And one day a man said to me, he always go for Feast of Tabernacle. And he said, I want you to come with us. We will pay your airfare, everything. So they took me to Israel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you got to be and, in the Holy Land. Exactly. So I went uh, about three three times. I went there again. And just to study the Jesus and uh, where he was born and where he was grew up and, and where he died. And uh, my parents, uh, I took the photos and I showed to them. Wow. And and finally, your village, how is it today? I mean, we talked about how the missionaries came and obviously there, were, there yeah. was education and you were educated, but also yeah. you mentioned that the demonic forces were taken away, they yes. are no longer worshiping yeah. demonic things. How is your village yes. today? Now, our villages are truly, truly Christians. They are really Christians. They live in the villages. Because why I said that is, they go to church, they go to prayer meetings because they're in the village. Everything mm-hmm. happened in the village. So it's, uh, it's people just love Jesus and love God. Yeah. Wow. So a huge impact on well, your home village in Papua New Guinea in the highlands. Yes. Our villages are more and more Christians. And uh, every Sunday, uh, everybody don't work. They, they, they must have a church service. Uh, those STAs on Saturday, they also, everybody work. No, no work. They all go to church. Yeah. Wow. So to this day, still a, a huge yeah. Christian impact in your, your yes. village where you come yes. from. Yes. And then now they believe my book is making impact because uh, they believe that God really called you. So that's the, that's the way the truth now comes. And uh, they themselves prove that uh, that call was God was calling you. And so I'm I'm happy to talk to you, Eric. Yeah, well, happy to talk to you. So when they see your book, your life story, and where you came from, their village, yeah. they must be very proud to know that yeah, somebody from their village has had uh, such a, an impact on the whole country. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Charles Lapa, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Yeah, thank you, Eric. Uh, and uh, without uh, Janet, I wouldn't have come this far. And with Lord Jesus Christ, who make things possible. And all glory belongs to him. And uh, I want to say thank you, Eric, for interviewing me. You're listening to The Story. Our guest on the first part of today's program has been Pastor Charles Lapper from Papua New Guinea. And the book written about his life is called Searching for Paradise, a story of chiefs, gangs, prime ministers and the God beyond the clouds. As we heard, it was written by Janet Dixon from Melbourne. Next, we'll hear from Charles's daughter, Melinda, about the impact her parents have had on her life as she also has a remarkable story of her own to tell. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. 
or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Before the break, we heard from Pastor Charles Lapa from Papua New Guinea, who shared his fascinating life journey. Next, you're going to hear from his daughter, Melinda, who's had an incredible story of her own. Now joining us in our remaining moments is Charles' daughter, Melinda. Welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. How are you? Very good. I just loved hearing your father's story and all the adventures he's gone on and having influence with prime ministers and with gang members. And I just wanted to ask you, what has it been like having Charles for your father? What impact has he had on your life? Oh, nothing short of adventures, miracles, and just the spontaneous kind of life we've lived um, back in the 80s, growing up in the slums. <laughs> well, they call it the slums here. Oh, yeah. So you were there when he was uh, ministering to the gang members. Yeah. So, so Dad actually started off really the life outreach team, mm-hmm. which is, we call it the Operation Tannibal, started in the 80s, so the early 80s, say the 1984, which is when I was already um, like a four-year-old or three-year-old with mum, mm-hmm. and he went off, did that. So we were in and amounts it all. Yeah. What, what Were you afraid? I mean, gang members all over the place? Not really. Um, actually, thinking about it in retrospect, we did have this conversation um, a while back, and Dad was asked the question, did you even think about the impact it would have on a young family growing up in in such an environment where a lot of, you know, gangsters, violence and, and yeah. so forth. And he said, now that he's think, thinking about it, he said um, he can't believe he actually put us through that, but yeah. like had, had you know, just the grace to carry us through that without really flinching because, um, you know, by, we were living by faith. Yeah. So for us, um, looking at my mom and dad and the way they lived and carried their lives in that environment, um, we thought it was normal to just live by faith, um, just be open to the Holy Spirit and to um, walk every day as the way Jesus would. Yeah. So you were living among these former gang members who were trying to turn their lives around. Exactly. Yes. So the halfway house, when the halfway house had started, we were right there in the midst of it. We saw them coming in, um, getting saved, coming in, um, being rehabilitated after three years, graduating, going out into the into the world. So it was a Bible school as well? Uh, it was more of, well, we had a Bible college, but it was not part of the work that we did. Um, but we we had we were affiliated, so we were sort of like um, the daughter or the, the son of that particular organization. So mm-hmm. we would have a few of our, you know, the gang members go to that Bible college, but still come back and stay where we were. Okay. You said there was a three-year course? Yeah. So the halfway house um, was basically just... Getting kids off the street, so it was like an in-between between of the streets and prison. Mm-hmm. So um, if the, the justice system couldn't help them, um, dad would vouch for them and say, give them to me, let me have a go. And mm-hmm. so the first year was pretty much like the spiritual aspect of getting them really into, you know, what it means to be a following, like living a life um, following Christ. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the physical, which was, you know, they would do a lot of chores, gardening, you know, oh, okay. looking after livestock, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and so that was sort of yeah, the body, soul, the mind, body, and soul, or body, oh, soul, I and spirit, okay. I guess. Yeah. Yep. So spiritual growth, but also physical growth and uh, yes. well, hopefully maturity as well. That's right. And so you saw all that going up. And when did you become a Christian? So um, I think I remember giving my heart to Jesus when I was probably short of just eight years of age at a um, a church camp, a Christian like kids' church camp. 
Um, but I think really coming to realize or, you know, have that sort of world Christian worldview and perspective probably later on in my teenage years. So probably like say grade um, eight, nine, 10 around then. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? So there's four of us. Um, I'm the eldest of four. Mm-hmm. There's um, two other girls and a boy. So there's three girls and a boy. And how did you eventually make your way to Australia? I came, interesting story. I was severely ill. I had um, heart and lung complications. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very bad prognosis, diagnosed uh, back in Papua New Guinea in um, 2005. And it was really kind of like, I didn't have much much to go on. So um, my mom and dad decided that we should probably explore overseas and come to Australia. And so that's how we ended up coming to Cairns first and then to Brisbane because we had more family friends here. Um, but I was diagnosed with a, a very rare condition, um, which affected both my heart and my lungs. And the only real definitive treatment for what I was going through was for both a lung and a heart transplant. And being a non-Australian, um, you were looking at about uh, 10 to 20 years wait because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the organ donation was already quite, you know, scarce. So that's how we ended up coming to Australia. Uh, so that was in 2008. Mm-hmm. And um, the Lord, through prayer and fasting, uh, God, the Lord gave my father a word. And the word was declared to him saying that this illness will go through prayer and fast. And that's what he declared uh, from then on that after that word was given, um, where the church just went into like every year, 40 day of prayer and fasting. And it was only five years after that, that I fully came, you know, I, I basically, it was a miracle. It was a medical phenomenon really? is what the doctor said. But I, yeah, my heart came back to its normal size. It was three times its normal size. Wow. My lung, which was at 40, was functioning at 40% capacity, came back to almost normal. Um, within within that you know that time frame, so for us, like coming to Australia was really this is where I saw my miracle here in yeah. Brisbane. Wow! And I've stayed on. <laughs> oh, fantastic! So I was going to ask you how are you doing today, but it sounds like you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing yeah. So um, back then, when I was diagnosed and when I was going through almost four years of illness, I never thought that I would, you know, get married and have children because that was. That wasn't going to happen, like according yeah, to yeah, medical science. Of the health that, issues, yeah. That wasn't, yeah, that was that wasn't going to happen. So when I did have, you know, when I when I received my medical, you know, my miracle, and I I listed down some of the things I wanted to see God do in my life, and one of them was to get married and have children and possibly, well, you know, tell us have about own, that. my own home. Tell yeah. us about that. What well, happened? I, <laughs> that's that's exactly what happened. So on the hospital bed, the, the Lord showed me. A child, not a yeah. husband, a child. <laughs> okay, started with the child first. <laughs> um, I started with the child first. So I knew from what I saw that uh, this child wasn't going to be just Papua New Guinea. She would have something else in her. And it was going to be a girl. <laughs> and I told my mom, I shared with my mom and on the hospital bed, I said, I know this is medically impossible, but I know that my God is a miracle working God and there's nothing impossible with him. And this is what I saw. And my mom said, I believe that. And so, and that was, you know, like it was almost 10 years before it actually all happened. (laughs) Wow. And tell us, who did you meet? So So I met this lovely Kiwi Australian guy. His name is Mitchell. And we met here in Brisbane. And that was also a God thing, how we met. And 
when we met for the first time, it's not like, you know, people say it was love at first sight. It wasn't love at first sight. It was like, okay, what's your five-year plan? (laughs) (laughs) Very practical. (laughs) Yeah, very practical. Um, but I think because Mitch, Mitchell also comes from his his dad's Mary and his mom's Australian, so having that Mary background is very oh my similar goodness, to your our... children are very multicultural <laughs> and international. Yeah, very international. Yeah. Too bad this so is we... uh, radio. We can't see the face of your your children. <laughs> Maybe we can, one day. <laughs> we can imagine they're very beautiful. I, I I just know that. Yeah. So we um, recorded for only. Um, a, a year and then we decided this was meant to be and I said look you know we've got to do the right thing and, and let our mum and dads know and say this is our your intention my intention so forth and so we were married in 2017 and dad and mum came over the whole family came over here in Brisbane and um, guess where we spent our honeymoon we went to Planet Shakers conference for our honeymoon <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's an idea I don't think I've heard that before <laughs> Very spiritual. (laughs) Very spiritual. It was a very spiritual honeymoon. But no, um, looking back at it all, I I owe it all to my parents, to my mom and dad, the life they've Mm -hmm. lived and what they've carved out in in their faith. And just looking at that, you know, for me, I always tell mom and dad and people that I know, I say, you know, my living epistles are my father and mother. They are the living, breathing, walking Word of God, you mm. know, they are Christ to us. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about having the image of Christ and, and being imitators of Christ. That's that's my mom and dad. And so wow. I said, my life is just an extension of what they've lived and what they've sacrificed and, and, and the God that they believe in. And so because of that, you know, it just makes it easier for us to carry it on because we've lived and experienced mm. it and it's not it's not a new thing to us it's it's the life that's that's normal christian living wow <laughs> that's fantastic maybe uh janet dixon's gonna have to write your life story next <laughs> what do you think yes yes most probably hopefully you're hearing this janet <laughs> yes yes janet you got some more work to do <laughs> thank you so much for sharing melinda no you're welcome such a pleasure thank you eric Well, that was Eric Scadabo chatting with Melinda Lapa, who's the daughter of Pastor Charles Lapa, who we heard from the beginning of today's program. And it was great to hear what a positive impact Melinda's parents have had on her life, as well as on the entire country of Papua New Guinea. As it says in the book of Proverbs, the godly walk with integrity, blessed are their children who follow them. To learn more about the remarkable life of Pastor Charles Lapa, you can read the book Searching for Paradise, a story of chiefs, gangs, prime ministers, and the God beyond the clouds. As mentioned earlier, it was written by Janet Dixon from Melbourne. The website is searchingforparadise.org. Once again, that's searchingforparadise.org. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this two-part series focusing on the fascinating life of Pastor Charles Lapa from Papua New Guinea. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. He said, um, unfortunately, as we were travelling down for the meeting, Ben was in another car and they had an accident and, and Ben was killed. By this stage, I loved this man and I just broke down crying. He was a well-known man, loved, and just everybody broke down crying. We were just crying, and I didn't know what to do. Ten minutes, and uh, Ben walks in. 
David Odd served as a missionary in Papua New Guinea for a total of 23 years, but his story is somewhat different than most, as he had served for five years before becoming a Christian. We'll hear the incredible story of the unsaved missionary next time. The story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 